Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. The title of this message today is Sibling Rivalry. Sibling Rivalry. So you might be thinking, what is this picture here? Well, these are a couple siblings here, Jonathan and David, that were having disagreements one day. And they couldn't get along, so my wife, in her incredible revelatory way, took one of my t-shirts and put one t-shirt and made them both get in it. And they had to walk around like that together for a little while, right? And uh, they had to learn to get along. Isn't that good? So here, you parents who got more than one child, uh, take note, use your dad's shirt. It'll bring healing and restoration, amen? (laughs) I love that picture. (laughs) I asked them to find it this morning. I couldn't find it anywhere. I said, Casey, do you know where it's at? And David goes, oh, I know where it's at. So David actually found it. And uh, amen. (laughs) By the way, saw Jonathan. He is doing amazing. He's pretty much staying at six foot four, six foot five right now. And uh, he's doing really good. You know, it's tough and all the transition, but he loves it. He's he's the biggest engineer in the school. Uh, but he's really doing well and excited for him. Actually, all of them will be here in December. So we're really excited about that. Sierra will be here in another couple weeks, less than two weeks. Okay, and then she'll be here for two months. And so make sure you spend some time with Sierra. She's doing great in Japan. And then Abby and Jonathan will fly here uh, in the middle of December. So, and they'll be here for just about three to four weeks and then I got to go back. So praise the Lord. So sibling rivalry, how many of you are competitive? Okay. Now there are not hands going up and I know you're competitive. I've played basketball with some of you. Okay. I've played with, okay. And as nice as someone like Josh is, when you give him a basketball, He'll smile at you as he gives you an elbow. No, I'm just kidding. No, he won't do that. He won't do that. I'm just kidding. Now, Josh's a pretty good player, you know. I mean, it's hard, though, when he's on the opposite team as me, you know, because they always lose. But anyway, um, sibling rivalry. What is a sibling rivalry? I mean, I'm, I'm a competitive person, okay? And I have my... My brother, my real brother, my stepbrother Jimmy is the same age as my brother Louie, four years younger. And I had two older stepsisters. And my brothers and I, we wrestled all the time. And I was always bigger than them. So, you know, I would do things that older brothers do. Okay? And I had to repent later. But this is what um, 
a definition I've found of what is a sibling rivalry. Well, it's an intense competition. You know, jealousy among siblings for recognition and the attention of their parents. So how many of you got brothers and sisters in here? <laughs> okay, so you know what I'm talking about. But we all had probably some sibling rivalry to some degree. You know, in sports, there's lots of rivalries, right? You have different teams. People might say, oh, I'm, a, I'm a Lakers fan, or I'm a Bulls fan, or I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. You know, it always is funny to me. I grew up, you know, played basketball a lot in the 90s, so Michael Jordan was the best. And I mean, he's still the best. I don't care who you think might come close to being able to play with him, you know, but no, you know, and so people would talk about the, the Bulls team in the 90s and how they won 72 games and won the championship and then compared it to the Golden State Warriors some years ago, they won like 70 games and lost the championship so you know and everybody says oh that team is they could play with Michael Jordan and all those guys Steph Curry and them and I just kind of laugh at them because I think the game back then was so much more physical than it is now and now you know a guy breaks his pinky nail and he cries that he can't play in the game or something like that anyhow that's what I'm saying is what I'm describing to you is a rivalry. <laughs> you know, I have an opinion about why I think that team is so much better. And uh, because I grew up in that time period, of course I'm going to look at that and say, you know, to me it's so much better than what I see nowadays. But since the beginning of the world, rivalries have taken place. One of the most well-known rivalries is between Cain and Abel. So in a moment, we're going to turn to Genesis 4, and then after that, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 15. But St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, how many of you know that there are people that have revelation that is from God but we may not agree with everything that they say and do right so for example how many of you believe that uh, Martin Luther who had the revelation of justification by faith that's an important thing to believe right is that we're not saved we're not justified by sin because of our uh, faith and our good works. We believe by faith alone in Jesus Christ, He justifies us. There's no amount of good works that I can do to save myself. Amen. So He stood against the Catholic Church and God gave Him that revelation, justification by faith. It's one of the most important recovered revelations that was necessary during I think it was the 14 1500s and so it's awesome we talk about Martin Luther like that but do you know that Martin Luther 
really persecuted the Jewish people. Horribly. I think he's the the one who wrote the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, right? Maybe you know the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never. Okay, And, and it's about, you know, as a Christian, we read it as being part of the army of God and we're going in to, you know, if we're thinking of it in spiritual terms, to destroy the works of darkness and to advance the kingdom of God. That sounds powerful. Except the problem is, is that song was sung by the crusaders as they were walking through Jerusalem, right? And destroying Jewish homes, burning them on fire. Why do I share that? Because there are things that people say that are godly and awesome. But there are also things we may have a disagreement with. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because we have to stand in knowing what God's word says. Not just have an emotional attachment to somebody to where that clouds our minds from understanding the truth of what scripture says. Does that make sense? You know, right now, unfortunately, there is a well-known minister in the U.S. who started the international house of prayer I'm not, I won't say his name if you know his name you know his name I know people who know him personally and everybody had assumed that this guy was just one of the great men of God in our world today and he very well could have been at certain periods of time he started the house of prayer which has gone viral around the world In fact, they've had 24-7 prayer at his original house of prayer for decades now. You look at that and you think, wow, that's just amazing. But here's the thing. There are allegations right now that he has been sexually abusing women. That is very sad and it's heartbreaking. How could somebody be a man of prayer and have such great revelation but yet fall so quickly well it probably didn't happen right away and there are things that happen to get put underneath the rug right and we just kind of move on in life St. Augustine said some things I'll read the first quote he said we can read the New Testament only together with what preceded it In other words, talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Otherwise, we would completely fail to understand it. I understand when people give out New Testament Bibles. You know, the Gideons are famous for doing that. Scripture is amazing. God's breathed on it. God can reveal himself. But imagine trying to build a building like this with no foundation. The foundation of the beginnings of the word of God is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, right? And if we throw that out and just give people a New Testament and we tell them Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, then the law of the Lord, which is perfect, will not convert the soul. See, my thing is we want to get to the shortcut. You ever go to eat somewhere and you just want to go to get dessert first? (laughs) 
right? So let's say the New Testament is the dessert, okay? And the main meal that's, that is going to really prepare the way for you to enjoy that dessert and it not, uh, and, and you get the full effect of it. You got to really make sure that the nutritional value of God's word is laid as a strong foundation in your life. Otherwise, we cannot understand Jesus without understanding the Old Testament. We cannot understand him properly. Yes, he can reveal himself, but we have to understand that God gave us the entire Bible. He didn't give us just sections. And, and look, Jesus can reveal himself even without the physical Bible. I get that. But predominantly the way that God reveals himself is through the entirety of his word around the world. This is why it's so important that Bible translators continue to translate the scriptures in different languages so everybody can have the Bible. And we still have lots of languages that still don't have full Bibles or partial St. Augustine said something true. But listen to his next quote. Because interestingly enough, he was not very supportive of the Jewish people. He said, Judaism since Christ is a corruption. Indeed, Judas is the image of the Jewish people. Their understanding of scripture is carnal. They bear the guilt for the death of the Savior. For the fathers, they have killed Christ. How many of you know it wasn't just the Jewish people that killed Christ? It's all of us. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just Jews. It's amazing how much Jews get blamed for so much. If they're successful, people blame them. It, it, it's incredible. It doesn't matter what they do. And you have a lot of famous Jewish people that if I said their names, you would know them. Who's the founder of Facebook? Jewish. <laughs> you ever hear of a guy named Steven Spielberg? You ever watch any of his millions of movies? Maybe not millions, but... Jewish. Okay, I, I can go on and on and on. There are so many people because God has put a special anointing, a blessing. He has chosen the Jewish people. And it's not, that does not mean that everybody else who's not Jewish, Gentiles, most of us in this room, are the stepchildren or the ones that aren't as valuable. No, it means that God chose a people because he wanted to redeem the world. And if he doesn't stick to his promises to Israel as his people, then we cannot accept his promises. You've heard us say that many, many times. Outside of a personal relationship with Jesus, I believe understanding Israel is the second most important revelation that God will use in the last days to prepare the church for revival and awakening. Look, I don't care if you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, 
or post as long as you understand that the gospel is to the Jew first and then the Gentile, then that means you have a passion to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples. That should be our focus. We should have intimacy with Jesus and we should desire to fulfill the purpose of God in our life so that Jesus can be glorified and come back for a one new man. Jew and Gentile being one, right? There's a lot I'm skipping, but I'm assuming that some of these things you already know. But whenever God talks about Jews and Gentiles in the Word, I believe God sees Israel as the elder brother, which I think you just prayed that a minute ago, and I was like, praise God, we're going in the right direction. And the Gentiles as the younger brother. We have the same father, right? And yet, when the first son is born, and then the second son, doesn't mean the parents love them any less. It just means they have a different position that God chose for that period of time to fulfill his purposes. We're going to explain this more. Let's look in Romans 11, verses 25 through 27. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It might be a little hard to read on the screen, but... I'll just read it. It says, I, Paul says, I do not want you believers to be unaware of this mystery, God's previously hidden plan, so that you will not be wise in your own opinion, that a partial hardening has temporarily happened to Israel, which I put older brother, to last until the fulfillment or the full number of Gentiles, the younger brother, has come in. So because Israel did not largely accept Jesus as Messiah, although everybody who accepted Jesus first was Jewish. And then because of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, different ones who stood against that they didn't want to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And the gospel began to spread from, Judea, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then a guy named Paul is born again. Paul the apostle. And then what happens? God tells him to go to the Gentiles. Why? It's part of the mercy of God. Because if Israel rejected Jesus, God still loved Israel. And because he loved them and was going to fulfill his promises to them being his chosen people, he went to the Gentiles in order that through their salvation, they would make the Jewish people jealous. You see, we put... We have such harsh understanding about God and his word and we don't understand it sometimes because we, whether it be immaturity or just a lack of understanding the totality of God's word. But the point is this. God knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, let's read on here. And so at that time, all Israel... That is, all Jews who have a personal faith 
in Jesus as Messiah will be saved just as it was written in scripture. The deliverer or Messiah will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. So look, Adam and Eve sinned and since the beginning of the world, sin has led to death and has brought destruction and brings about wars and famine and pestilence and all these horrible things that are happening. And God in his mercy and his love, even though he knew what man was going to do, he still loved man or not to not cross over the boundaries of man's ability to choose of what we would want for God or against God. God allows us to choose against him even though he knows it's wrong. And he still loves us. If he didn't love us, then he would have given up on Israel a long time ago. But he still says they're the apple of my eye. And if you're grafted in Messiah, you are also the apple of God's eye. The point is this, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Jewish son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why is it important that Jesus was the firstborn? Why is it important that Jesus was Jewish? Because in order for the world to be redeemed, a Jewish Messiah had to come to redeem the earth and fulfill the co covenant plans and destiny that God had for Israel and for the world so he can redeem us with his blood. So let's look in Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 15. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Genesis 4 verses 1 through 15. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought his offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So here, let me comment on this right quick. But this entire passage is about God valuing first fruits. Anybody know what first fruits is? This is before tithing became an issue. Okay, this is way before Exodus, okay? This is Genesis. This is the beginning. And in the beginning, Cain and Abel both should have understood that God values first fruits. That means whatever you till of the ground and whatever you get from your animals, the first part of that belongs to God. Amen. That's what you do with your finances. That's what you do with your time. That's why we say seek 
the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all things will be added. If we're not putting the Lord first, if we're not putting the values that God is teaching us in his word first, then we will see our lives disoriented and out of whack and we won't see God coming to bless us even though we are sons and daughters of God. If you want divine breakthrough, if you want God to meet you where you're at, God is going to bring you back to understanding the principle of first fruits. It's not just about duty. It's not just about good works. It's about doing your work first as to the Lord. This is why in the Psalms you read about the Psalms saying, I wake up early in the morning to seek your face, right? We have to put the Lord first. We cannot just make him second, third, or fourth. We don't fit God into our life. Jesus must be Lord. Jesus is the fulfillment of all first fruits. And when we accept him into our lives, we are saying that I want to follow the plan and the purpose of how you lived before me of first fruits. Cain was destined to be the tiller of the ground. That to me is a pioneer. Is someone who's digging and, and going and plowing and doing things that nobody else has ever done before. They're kind of preparing the way. I think Cain's calling was supposed to be a forerunner. He was supposed to have the mindset that if I live in first fruits I am supposed to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord but he didn't understand that and it's hard to understand God's word if you're not putting first things first and if you make God your second let's say if you if you have a concern about something and you want to go to the pastor and say I need some wisdom but you never ask God Oh, they could give you wisdom, but you won't appreciate it because you never went through what they went through. But if you learn how to go to God first, instead of just taking an aspirin when you get, to heaven, when you get a headache, you say, God, I need healing first. And, and I'm guilty like anybody else. I have to learn how to put the Lord first. When I wake up in the morning, is Jesus on my lips? No matter what I'm doing, oftentimes when I'm traveling and on an airplane and like I had to leave Philadelphia and go to the airport and be there at 3 a.m. because my flight left at 6 a.m. to come to the Philippines. I didn't get up earlier because if I got up any earlier, I, I wouldn't have slept at all, which actually I really didn't sleep at all. And I was just busy packing and it was so busy. So my normal routine is not to just be busy and then meet with God after. But I have a specific thing I do whenever I fly that I, I set aside the reading passages of what I'm supposed to read in the scripture. And then once I get through all of what I'm going to get through in the airport and I sit down in the plane, I put my music in and I open the scripture on my phone usually and I just read and I spend time with God and I pray in tongues nobody else cares because everybody else is sleeping <laughs> but my point is I want to be intentional see Cain was supposed to be intentional with God but he wasn't 
And it says here that Abel was destined to be the keeper of the sheep. That to me is a settler. He was supposed to be an inhabitor. He was supposed to be a person that was following the pioneer and then establishing what the pioneer started. Are you with me? The pioneer starts something and then Abel was supposed to take it and make it better. And then Cain was supposed to keep on pioneering. But that's not what would happen, did it? We read that in verse 6. Let me see here. Well, we read in verse 4 and 5 that Cain's offering was not a first fruits offering offering and that's why God did not accept his offering it wasn't that he loved Abel more than Cain are you hearing me we're talking about Jews and Gentiles older brother younger brother it's not that God loved one more than the other it's that one had a grace on his life to help bring about a pioneering work of redemption in the world and the younger one was supposed to follow that. But when the first elder brother did not do what he was supposed to, God ended up blessing the second brother first. Since Abel's offering was a first fruits offering, God did accept it. God had original plan for Cain to fulfill, for the Jewish people to fulfill. Since God did not accept Cain's offering, he allowed his permissible will, which was Abel, to redeem his original plan. Look with me in verses 6 and 7. It says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Thinking about Israel. And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door and it desires, it, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should master it. Sin, right? Paul later says in Romans, sin must not be your master. God gave Cain a way of escape to do what was right but still Cain did not repent when God gave him a way of escape. And look in verses uh, 8 through 12. It says, Now Cain talked with his brother Abel, came to pass order in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Hey, Jews are supposed to be the light of the world a light to the world and he said what have you done the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground so now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you a fugitive and a vagabond an aimless person, a person who doesn't know why they believe what they believe, you shall be 
on the earth. This is exactly what happened to the Jewish people. They have, through the diaspora, have been placed all over the world. They were kicked out of Jerusalem, out of Israel. And for over 2,000 years, they had aimlessness. There's no temple. There's no place to do sacrifices. And they had the rabbis. And they were trying to do everything that they could do without the temple. But you, they're not, as a Jewish person, you're not designed to fulfill the law without the temple. You can't. It's impossible. And even when they had the tabernacle and the temple, they still could not completely fulfill it. And year after year, there had to be continual sacrifice. But Hebrews tells us that eventually Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, he makes one sacrifice for all. And we don't have to anymore be in this works mentality, but we can rest knowing that God doesn't require from us a Sabbath day anymore because he becomes our Sabbath rest. Now it's wise to continue to follow a Sabbath day. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I encourage that. But it's not necessary for salvation anymore. It's not. Let's look on to this. Is this making sense? Because I believe it's going to make a lot more sense in just a few minutes. As Cain killed Abel, the enslavement of sin further separated Cain from fulfilling God's original plan. It further hardened the hearts of Jewish people the more that they disobeyed God's will and original plan. The vagabond lifestyle of Cain disrupted his identity to be a pioneer. You see, you know why I talk about a last day's revival and awakening? It's because when the church, the younger brother, largely the Gentiles, is on fire and living the way that we should live, not persecuting the Jews, but holding up their arms and saying, we stand with you, let me ask you, who's going to be the Corey Tim Booms of this generation? Come on, my friend. That's something the Lord has really challenged me with. And listen, that has a lot of implications to it. Because what, what happened to Corey Tim Boom? Your family could end up in a concentration camp. And your whole family could be killed just for standing for the Jewish people. Are they that important to you and me? They should be. Why? Because God loves them more? No. Because God has a plan. And when the Gentile church becomes who we're supposed to be, one day the elder brother's eyes are going to be open. And there's going to be an awakening that's going to take place. And you're going to see thousands and millions of Jewish evangelists all around the world preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Look in verse 13 and 14. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have... Listen, 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 guys. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. We were just singing, show me your face. Why? Because there's been a veil... I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. 
Are you hearing that? When I read that and I'm thinking about where we are in the world today in history, I'm telling you I have hope because I know that there's a younger brother that's being awakened. And they are looking at Israel saying, never again. Never again will there be another holocaust. Never this is what Israel says. This is what the IDF probably has written when they're going out to go and deal with Hamas terrorists. And if you think that Israel is not perfect, they're not. But I will tell you this, they want to help the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people have more freedom in Israel than they did in Palestine under the Hamas. In fact, the Hamas is killing their own people and blaming it on Israel. In fact, Hamas is saying that when uh, a, a hospital was blown up, that they blamed it on Israel. But the fact is, it was their own missile that fell on that hospital. See, we got to be careful what we hear and read and see in the news nowadays. I would encourage you, if you don't already, to follow Amir Sarfati, especially on Telegram. That, the news that comes from there is very good. Look at this. And the Lord said to him, this is so awesome. Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord, listen, the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone who should find him should kill him. Isn't there a mark that God told his people Israel to bear? It's called circumcision. It's called the law. There's specific covenants that God made with Israel that was imperative for them to say to people, we are separated from the world. And even though Israel has been the most persecuted people group in history, it's not even close with any other group. And horrible things have happened to other groups in the world. I want you to know, God has watched over his people. Even though six million died in the Holocaust, Israel still became a state in 1948. That hasn't happened in 2,000 years. My friend, God is watching over his people. And not only is he watching over his people, he's looking for his church, the Gentile church, to become a people that are burning and flaming evangelists for the gospel, preaching that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now let me get into this. In Luke 15... Verses 11 through 32, it's the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Now, I want you to understand this. In this passage, the Gentiles represent the younger brother. And Israel represents the older brother. Let me read Romans 11, 11 through 12 real quick. I say then 
Paul is speaking about Israel. I say then, has Israel stumbled that they should fall? In other words, that God would give up on them? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So look, if they fell and it brought about your salvation as a Gentile, how much more when they recognize Jesus as Messiah will there be incredible awakening and revival? Let's look in Luke 15, starting verse 11. Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his, pos his possessions with prodigal living prodigal living that word for prodigal living there means wasteful living you see Gentiles without having Jesus without having the law we had no purpose and God wanted to give us purpose by grafting us into Israel as being the older brother but now we look at this younger son and here he is living in sin. He has no idea who God is, right? He has a knowledge of God, but doesn't know him personally. And it says, verse uh, 14, But when the prodigal son had spent all, there arose a severe famine. You know, it's always necessary for people to see their need for God before they accept Jesus in that land and they began to be in want then he went and joined himself as a citizen of that country he lost his identity sin will kill your identity sin will say you're not a son or a daughter you're nothing I see this in America in Philadelphia we went around and we saw people they're doing drugs these drugs that just kind of make them stand like this and they're so out of it they have no idea what's going on and 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 it's just destroying and there's hundreds of people on the streets they have no identity why they have no fathers I just read a, a story of a man, an Israel man uh, in Gaza that when the terrorists came to attack, they attacked his home. There were 10 to 15 of them and they were shooting and he got his family in the, in, in the downstairs safety room that's protection from bombs. Every house in Israel has to have that. Imagine, you hear a siren and you have like just seconds to get downstairs to that bomb shelter well he got his wife and his children into that bomb shelter while men were attacking and listen these Hamas were taking drugs and as they were going they were murdering people 
And they were told how many Israel, how many Jews that you kill, you'll get an apartment and you'll get $10,000. And do you know the Hamas leadership is some of the most wealthy people in the world? Some of them are worth $4 billion. And it's the foolishness of the American government and other Western governments that don't understand the younger and older brother, that don't understand Israel properly. And what happens is they're trying to steal away land that God said belongs to my people. And God will never allow that land to be taken. There is no such thing as a two-state solution. Not in biblical terms. Even Donald Trump was fighting for a two-state solution. You could see what happened to Donald Trump. This is my point. This man, this Jewish man, grabbed a gun and began shooting terrorists because he was defending his home. That's not murder, friend. Murder is what was in the mind of those terrorists. And I think he took out some of them, but they kept coming. They lit his house on fire, and he had no other option. They were coming through the window, and he's shooting them. I mean, it sounds like a movie. The guy runs downstairs into the bomb shelter. A fire is over his house, is burning down. And the smoke is starting to come into the bomb shelter. And he doesn't know if he should lift it up because there could be somebody waiting to shoot them. Eventually, he comes out and the IDF was there. He saved his entire family. That's pretty spectacular. To me, that's what a superhero is like. To me, that's what a father is like. And we don't have many fathers nowadays. We have a lot of teachers who tell you what to believe, but they don't teach you how to understand what to believe on your own, how to interpret scripture on your own, how to hear God's voice for yourself. That's why we want to be a people of prayer. That's why we want to be committed. This is why we want to walk in purity and holiness and integrity. This is why, because this season that we're in right now, my friend, biblical prophecy is happening all around us. And most people have no concept of what's happening in Israel like right now we could be on the precipice of World War III I'm not saying we are but I am saying this all the countries are focusing on Israel now everybody is and a lot of people are saying destroy Israel and then different ones are saying stand for Israel I saw a video of the German Chancellor and there's been a lot of anti-Semitism in Germany as of late with everything going on. A video came out. It's an eight-minute video of why Germany is going to stand with Israel. Do you know what that means to Jewish people? That the highest authority in Germany, where the Holocaust largely took place, will say, we will stand. Hamas is a terrorist organization. And he's speaking truth. I'm telling you, real men of God, real men and women of God are standing up right now. And the ones that aren't standing up are putting their tail between their legs because they don't know what to do. 
They're full of fear because they don't have a fear of the Lord. And they think that by walking the way that they want to live in this life of sin and debauchery and that, that they could take their stand against God. But I'm telling you something, God will have the last word. And he will stand up and everybody will stand before him one day. And whether they do it here on earth or not, they will have to declare that Jesus is Lord. Let me finish this up. He joined himself as a citizen of that country and it sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Here we go. Verse 17. But he came to himself. What does that mean? He had revelation. He had revelation that there's hope. That as a Gentile who has failed and full of sin, backslidden, their lives are so screwed up, their families are messed up, their marriages are messed up, relationships there's division every which way it it was at his lowest point of need you see this is why I still have hope for America I don't believe that America God's finished with America I believe that God's going to move in America I believe there are rumblings right now of people praying I believe God is stirring and awakening his church through this Asbury revival. The only purpose of that revival was not to become a Brownsville revival that everybody would go to. It was, the purpose of it was to export a spirit of prayer around the country and around the world. And the people that gravitated to that and ran with it are now in a right posture of understanding Israel correctly. He rose. Or, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. You see, when you have a right revelation of Jesus, you understand you don't have a right to be a son. And it makes you feel like I should just be a slave and come to God. Let me tell you, that's a right mentality. Now, you'll be in for a surprise. Because your father doesn't want you to ever be a slave but until you see that there's no hope within yourself and within this world and that you have no right to come to God except as a slave then you will never be in a right position to understand your identity in Christ I will arise and go to my father And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, I'm talking about the Gentile churches coming back. His father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. What do you think was in the heart of the father? The heart of the father is, it's my son. Look, this is telling us that every day that father was probably putting aside everything else he had to do. 
in order to look and see if his son would come home today. Then the first light of him seeing his son, he was so happy that his son was coming home that he ran and he kissed him. But do you know what was behind that hug and that kiss? The heart of God. Destiny was going to be fulfilled. My people Israel are going to be saved. But the father said to his servants, look at this. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring and sandals on his finger and sandals on his feet. Why? You have authority when you're born again, my friend. You become a son. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You become a daughter. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Or bring pesto. (laughs) And let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be merry. They began to party. If they were in the Philippines, there would have been a karaoke machine. (laughs) Listen. Verse 25. I'm almost finished. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came... He drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Explain to me. Why are we partying? Why are we celebrating over the sun? Why are we celebrating over these Gentiles? What's going on? What do you understand? I have been faithful to the law. Do you see some of these men, these orthodox men that stand at the wall? They stand at the wall 10, 12, 11, 14 hours a day praying that the Messiah would come. These are not a people who who don't believe the Torah. They just don't know that there's more than a foundation. There's been a building built. A cornerstone has been laid. And they said, your brother's come because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has even killed the fatted calf. What was meant for you, we gave for him. (laughs) Wait a minute. This is making a sibling rivalry take place. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, say therefore. Look, if you come to the end of the race, my friend, and you don't feel like you could take another step, as long as you go do what God asks you to do, this is what God will do. He will come to you. He's already come. He's not going to do everything for you and me. He's not going to do everything for Israel. But he's never going to lose his focus. He's been waiting for this moment. You know, we talk about the party of the prodigal son, but the greatest party is the older brother. 
His father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgress your commandment at any time. And yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Why have we been so dispersed? Why have we... Why have we endured the Holocaust? Why have we lost family members? Why were children murdered? Why were our elderly and our women taken captive? Why are we treated like this? Why do the nations rage and hate us? But as soon as this son of ours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. I don't understand why you seem to be with them and not with us. Where are you? I hear even Israel saying, where is the God of Elijah? Look at this. Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. What does that mean? I have never left you or forsaken you. You have turned your heart from me. But I have been waiting for my adulterous wife, Israel, to come back home. I have waited. I have been with, waiting for you for thousands of years. I sent you my only begotten son. I bankrupt heaven because there's nothing greater that I could give. Let me end with this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. For he, Jesus, himself is our peace who has made the two one, Jew and Gentile. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the fighting. That is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create for himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, older brother, and those who were near, younger brother. For through him we both have access by one spirit, the Father. Wow. I really believe this is helping us to understand Israel. God wants us as a church, primarily a Gentile church, to understand our position in history. Listen, guys, we have the ability to make history. When we pray for Israel, when we walk in obedience and declare the wonders of the Lord, when we put our focus on seeing the Jewish people come to Jesus and we live it out ourselves, I'm telling you we're preparing the way for the coming of the Lord.
Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.